Hello, and welcome to Control Escape, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the entire menu of top Africans in all areas of technology, with the aim of encouraging and motivating other Africans venturing into the growing landscape. Join me on this epic journey of discovery, adventure, and first-hand experience. Hello listeners, welcome to episode 6 of the Journey Series on Control Escape. This is your host, Samuel Adrani. Today, I have with me, all the way from South Africa, joining us via Skype, Tanaka Mutakwa. I hope I didn't butcher your name. He's a software engineer at Prodigy Finance, and it's amazing how he connected with me uh, on social media that he had heard about uh, the podcast and was interested in you know, sharing his journey. And I felt that it was just right as the vision of this podcast is. So today we have him. Welcome, Tanaka. Thank you, uh, Samuel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Very excited and keen to have a good conversation going. Definitely, yes. Definitely, yes. I'm, I'm really impressed at your response you know, to, to this podcast. Uh, initially, when I started this, I was hoping to get you know, such response from around the globe and um, I must say I'm honored to have you you know reach out to me to want to join and and share your journey on this podcast I'm really grateful cool awesome so let's get into it we want to know who Tanaka Mutakwa is yes so I'm I originally grew up in Zimbabwe but I'm based in Cape Town now um, as a software engineer Uh, I've been living in Cape Town for for about 11 years. Yeah, I came to South Africa for university just uh, right after I'd finished high school. And I studied, yeah, at the University of Cape Town. And yeah, I haven't left Cape Town since then. Pretty much enjoy the city and the lifestyle. And yeah, I've sort of worked at about two companies, all in tech as a software engineer since I started working. Yeah, and that's sort of a brief summary of, of who I am. Interesting. It seems like you're enjoying Cape Town so well that you don't want to go back to Zimbabwe. <laughs> uh, not exactly. <laughs> um, I do. I, I do go back uh, to visit family and friends that are still there. But of course, yes, most of my adult life has been in Cape Town. Uh, so I've sort of settled here, yeah, and work is here. Yeah. So yes, uh, most likely longer term, it looks like I'm here for now. But yes, I, I'm okay. Like once a year, at least I do head back to Zim just to visit people there. Okay. That's interesting. Amazing. So what was growing up like in Zimbabwe before you transitioned to South Africa? It was, I'd say, interesting and different over the years. Of course, uh, the country sort of changed from the time like I was born around 1989 um, and I left Zim in 2008. Uh, and over that window, obviously, the country you know, has changed, like economically, politically, and all that. But growing up um, was pretty good for at least on my part. Um, I changed schools quite a bit when I was in primary school, but was quite stable at the same school in high school. And I was in boarding school for most of my schooling, so that was that was interesting. Taught me a lot about responsibility, and I. The friendships I built up in those times are still solid friendships I have to this day. I'd say it was pretty good. And of course, 
I obviously saw the country slowly start to struggle economically towards the later years of my time in Zim. So that wasn't that great, but a relatively peaceful country with very educated sort of individuals. I think I attribute a lot of my education and discipline to, to sort of the education system that had been set up in Zimbabwe at that time and, and the culture uh, in Zimbabwe. So very sort of friendly sort of people. Yeah, very welcoming sort of country uh, at the time. Wow, nice to know that. So what was your first encounter with technology? Why did you pursue it? Yeah, so I think it's a, it, it goes back to primary school. I think I was around grade four, which would be, I would be around nine or 10 uh, years old at the time. I, I was attending a school called Hallingbury School. As a, at that time, I was still a day scholar. And there was our school set up its first computer lab. And I think there were about four computers or five computers uh, in, the, in the class, like very old school style computers. I mean, it was back in the day. We're talking 98 or something right now. And my parents signed me up for the afternoon classes that were getting offered. So not a lot of people were getting signed up by their parents because this was pretty new. And my parents actually signed me up for these classes. So I'd go, I think, like twice a week, maybe on a Tuesday and a Thursday in the afternoon. So after normal classes, then you'd go for the computer lessons. Mm. And yeah, and I'm not quite sure like where the inspiration for them to sign me up was, but I ended up going to these classes and I pretty much enjoyed them. And we're not doing anything complicated or fancy at the time. I mean, these machines were not even connected to the internet or anything. This was, we would do like typing tutor, and then, you know, you're trying to like win a game and get the fastest typing speed and learn about typing and very few basics around uh, how to use the computer and how to navigate. So, but at the time that was okay, because I mean, I'd never used the computer before. So you're literally learning how to navigate and how to use it. And you're getting ahead of like a whole lot of people who are not accessing computers at the time. So because I was exposed pretty early to computing in that way, uh, as the years went by and it became more and more sort of mainstream and at each school I'd go to, maybe they now have an actual computer class and everything. I was sort of ahead because some people were getting exposed to the, the things some people were getting exposed to, it was their first time and I had seen those things two or three years earlier. So when you ended up doing things that were more complicated, like I think... I don't know if it's still there, but there used to be like the ICDL thing that was spread out where you'd get like an international computer driver's license. Mm-hmm, that was mostly mm-hmm, being yeah. able to use all the, the Microsoft Office applications. Um, we were, when we were doing that, to, uh, I was mostly ahead of most people. I was probably one of the first people to get that later on in like my, my education. So I sort of was, would always be the top student in computing and I was still enjoying it. But my actual first exposure to computing or tech as an actual programming only then came later in high school when I was doing ordinary level, which is when I'm about uh, 15 or 16 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we actually started looking at building a program that does something, you know, so actually writing code and like, I think that point was building a mini point of sale system. But that's when it was now transitioning from just day-to-day use of a computer uh, of like the basic applications to actually like building your own application. Yeah. But, um, but again, because I was exposed much earlier to computing, I would also still do on those classes. 
and I was pretty much the top student in computing all the way up to uh, the time I finished high school. So, uh, so yeah, it was because it was because I enjoyed it, and um, it was because I was exposed to it early that like sort of my tech journey started. And from then on, the, I sort of just always knew if I'm going to study further and going to university or anything, I'm probably going to be doing something around technology. Um, and that's what led me to end up going to study computer science at the University of Cape Town. Oh, okay. So the turning point for you was in high school when you started appreciating the call and advanced use of computers. Yes. Yeah. So... Yeah, so I think the once you once I got into like actually building my own applications and writing code, then I realized this is actually more powerful than uh, actually just being able to to use a machine. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's great. That's great. So along the line in in learning and deciding to transition into computer science fully, were there any challenges you faced? I'd say. Some of it is in hindsight, you only realize it much later on, which is at that point, obviously, internet access is not like as mainstream as it is now. And also like I was in Zoom, so you're not necessarily like, I mean, obviously the internet has, has, been, has been widely accessible, maybe more in the West, like in America, uh, much earlier than it is like in Africa and stuff. So I only realized it much later that even in the learning how to code, I mean, we used to read out of a book, like this is sort of the language and you learn the programming language. Then you try go and sort of code something up, but then your feedback loop is really tricky. If you've got an error or something, you, it's not as easy as these days where you just can just like copy the error, paste it into Google and start learning about what's, what's that error about and like fixing it or getting a community around, an online community that can help you so and also just having maybe access to actual mentors who are who are core programmers of other systems before uh, those things were not really available. So it's it's not a challenge I thought I had at the time. It's something I think of in hindsight now that when I when I speak to other people who tell you, oh, you know what, I started computing at around the same time as you or programming at around the same time as you, but then I had these things or maybe like. They are. They were. They grew up in a place where they were literally studying with uh, with people who had built like multiple programs before. Mm. So I think. I think obviously now it's it's completely different. Um, I think the. I think now uh, internet access is widely available. I mean, it obviously will be way more available in the future and much easier to access. Uh, but at the moment, uh, but, but compared to back then, it was almost, uh, the only thing we did was maybe a couple of emails here and there. You check your email and then maybe you'd be able to, to reply to someone who sent you an email like a week or two ago. But that's the most exposure you'd have to, to the internet. Yeah. Um, so so I, I think my journey in the programming world could have been, could have started much earlier and could have accelerated faster uh, with access to those things. Um, that, that's one, I guess, of the challenges. The other one I would say is because at the time, again, technology and being a programmer was not really seen as the, the go-to career, especially in Africa. I mean, you, you, when someone is like really bright or anything, uh, they were advised to sort of either become like a doctor or an accountant or a pilot or something, you know, yeah. um, 
one of those core careers where you're guaranteed to make a lot of money and it was well respected at the time. So tech, because it wasn't understood and it was a very new thing, was, was also not uh, by default driven into like, hey, you should become good at this. Or people couldn't really describe what career I could sort of have. And for a while, I, I thought, oh, this is something I enjoy, but then I may actually not end up doing it permanently. I might need to do something else. I might need to go and become a, a, a civil engineer or something or an accountant. Uh, and then I can figure out what I can do with tech much later. So it was almost seen as a hobby. Uh, and I think I just sort of bridged that transition where I was still able to, to sort of convince my parents to go and study it. And as I came out of the degree, uh, found that software engineers were actually in high demand at the time also. And it's gone that high demand has continued. Um, so I think that's the other challenge that at the time I had or people who were trying to get into tech, especially from like an African perspective would have had is trying to convince people that this is actually a viable career. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. It looks as if the, the same concern is shared amongst most Africans that, um, I know, and I've interviewed, you know, the same thing with having to write code that you don't compile on the board or having, you know, uh, low or no internet connectivity, access to resources. And then, you know, the African perspective of you're only good to be an engineer, you know, a doctor and nothing about computers. So it's, um, it, we kind of share the same, you know, problems and challenges across, across board. So you, you're done with computer science, you graduated, um, you're ready for the workforce. Can you take us through a brief history of your of your work, you know your first job, what it was, and then maybe you can transition into your current role and what you do. Cool, sure. Um, so during my final year at university, so at University of Cape Town, I with six months to go before I finished, uh, I sort of started looking around for I, I'm going to graduate, so I need to start looking for where where I want to work. Um, can I get a job somewhere? You know. And there was actually a, an advert for an internship at a company called Alan Gray, which is an investment management company. Uh, and that internship was for during the vacation break. So it was only, it was supposed to be for about a month. So yeah, so I just got that job ad and I applied because uh, I, was, I wasn't going to go back to Zim during that vacation. So I thought, oh, I could just at least get some work experience. Um, and also make a bit of money during the vacation. So I went, got got interviewed by the head of tech at the time, and I got into the internship. And then I joined with uh, four other, I think, yeah, it was four other university students, and we were put into a team, and we basically had to build a little product over over four weeks. So it was, um, it was uh, you know, the feedback... Uh, feedback tools, like employee feedback tools, like a 360 oh, okay. feedback tool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's what we sort of were tasked to build. And um, yeah, so worked for these four weeks there. And at the end of that internship, so you know, like an internship is almost like an interview um, just over the long term. People actually get to work with you and see how you work. And at the end of that time, Alan Gray was pretty impressed with, with uh, the work I had done there. So uh, they basically asked me, are you willing to come and... Uh, and work with for us the next year. 
as a full-time employee, so as a graduate uh, developer. So I said yes, definitely, and then at the end of my degree, just after six months after, later after I finished, I joined Alan Gray and started there as a graduate software engineer, and I was working in the web team, so basically writing C-sharp uh, uh, code, uh, and they were using uh, ASP.NET uh, web okay. framework. Um, yeah, and I worked, so the, basically the client-facing site um, to manage your investments. Um, and users can log in and basically invest more money, switch between the funds or withdraw the money and see statements and reports and stuff. Yeah, and I worked there for about four years. Yeah, when I left, I was an intermediate software engineer, so I'd grown quite a bit. And I left because it had been, it had been my first job since university. I had been there for four years. I think I'd learned quite a lot about how software is developed, how actual software that's used by users in the real world is developed, uh, software that represents an actual brand of a business is developed, mm. um, working in teams and processes and everything around that. But then obviously I'd been there for four years, so I was looking for a new challenge and there was a, a company that had, it was still pretty small, their tech team was still pretty small. Uh, and they were involved in the education space, which I was always interested in. So I, that was Prodigy Finance, uh, where I actually currently work. Yeah, so the t tech team at that time was about four people. And I joined as the fifth developer at the beginning of 2015. Yeah, so I moved there because it was, much, it was a much smaller company than Alan Gray, where I had previously worked. So I was really keen on seeing what the journey would be like at a company seeing a company that's small grow to the size of like a big corporate like Alan Gray mm. and just like be through that learning journey along with them. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what's happened. Uh, in 2015, there were about five developers. Though four developers, I was the fifth one. There were about 27 employees. I was the 28th. And now I've just, I've just been there for over four years and the uh, tech team is, must be around like uh, almost just over 50 developers wow. and the whole company is over 200 employees. Um, yeah, so I've seen that whole journey and seen the company grow and develop and get funding and everything. Hmm. So that's been great learning um, through that journey. And yeah, and, and, and also my role obviously has changed and grown over time. I obviously grew more technical um, and learned a lot more. Um, and now I work there as a development line manager. So my role is split between uh, actual software engineering and uh, managing five other engineers um, in the software team. So basically helping them uh, grow their careers, set their goals, and just making sure they're happy uh, at the company uh, and working along with the rest of the sort of technology leadership team uh, to make sure that the tech team is functioning. Oh. And um, yeah, and, and, and Prodigy Finance, as I said, we're in education. Um, basically, we find international students who are going to study at the top schools uh, abroad um, because international students struggle to get to get funding, funding yeah. when uh, when they go to other to to other countries. So because obviously they don't have like a credit history there or anything. Uh, so people don't want to give them money and people are scared that they might go back to their <laughs> own countries or anything. Yeah. So 
Yeah, we we see that like as an opportunity, and we are willing to basically fund people and give them an education opportunity. Mm. So, like, if and a perfect example would be me, if I'm a Zimbabwean and I'm trying to go study at Harvard, I can come to Prodigy Finance and say, I've got a place. I just now need the funding, and then after I've finished my degree, whether it's an MBA or it's an engineering degree. Um, I can start paying back when I've now got employment post my studies. So, okay. yeah, so that's that's sort of the, the working journey. Started literally from that graduate engineer role and started learning about, oh, you've left school, school you were just doing assignments and little projects, and now this is the real world. So the code you write actually gets exposed to the real world, and now you work in teams and everything. Um, and yeah, and I've sort of sort of seen that journey through and now I'm still sort of developing software, but also now on the people side, helping helping people grow um, and helping just sort of help set up what a, a good a good tech environment should be. Mm. Oh, that's interesting what your company does. I I think that's a that's a very smart move and hopefully to see a lot more dynamics coming from that, you know, that space. So how do you think technology has influenced your life? Um, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think the one area I can think of immediately off the top of my head is being a software, um, engineer is about problem solving. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of, and, and a lot about life in general is about problem solving and like finding like the most efficient ways to do things or the best ways to do things, the most logical ways to do things. And I think like even outside of just software and tech, a bit of that influence has come across in my life in general. But also being in the tech space obviously means you're more exposed to the newer technologies or where the world is going tech-wise, uh, you kind of have that handle before a whole lot of people who aren't so involved in it. And I think in general, the world is going, it's, it's undeniable that the world is becoming more and more influenced by technology and our lives are becoming day-to-day -day influenced by technology. So even things like business or like small little businesses on the side uh, and day-to-day -day life things uh, are definitely are definitely things that um, I find tech has helped in my in my life yeah mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting to know I I'm curious how do you how do you balance you know your work and social life because uh, when you reached out I did a little, a little research on you and I realized that you actually a founder of No Days Off Lifestyle brand. Um, so how do you how do you balance it? Your work and you know your side deals or your own brand. And I know you also run, right? Yes. So how do you balance that? I think the key word there is is balance in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I think it's just having sort of that discipline for. Everything has its has its time, I guess. Ideally, I get I get into work around nine a.m. and I'll leave between five and six, and that's sort of my work day done. You know, um, I try and then I, I try I try not to then drag on like work, actual work home and like sleep at two a.m. or something. Still like doing like work stuff. So 
that's that's sort of a rule I just have for myself to say that's work core hours. Try to be as productive as possible during that time and get stuff done. And once I'm outside of that space, um, it's now my my space. And the running comes as part of uh, oh, this is something I enjoy doing. This is something that keeps me fit. It's part of my lifestyle. So I'll probably I'll either do that maybe in the mornings before I actually go into the office. And then also like sort of like with no days off and any little other side sort of projects and businesses is also something I have an interest in myself. So um, when I'm doing those things, it's not like I'm feeling like, oh, I'm now getting into work again. Uh, it's actually just fun for me to like experiment and try things out and stuff. So some of those things fall into like after after work hours or weekends and stuff. Obviously, it's pretty tricky to try do all that aggressively. So what I found and what I've learned over the years actually is the little side projects and businesses kind of remain side projects or businesses or actually some of them don't take off as much because obviously I'm busy with my actual like day job. Because yeah. um, as soon as it start to, starts to trade into it being a day job itself, then obviously it's not about balance anymore now. You've got kind of like two things actually competing for time. So, yeah, so that's, that's the way I see it for now. It's more, it's stuff I would do in my free time in any case, regardless of the job being there or not. I would still be someone who would go for, for runs and stuff, and I would still be someone who would be, like, experimenting with little side projects and side businesses on weekends or, or, or after hours, yeah. Mm. So with that, with that said, what inspires you? I think my motivation actually comes from wanting to inspire other people. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think I find in, in cases where I've seen someone get inspired sort of by something I've done or something I've said, and then they've gone on to become a better version of themselves, um, that's why I find like I've had the most joy or just seeing that and that that's really great. So that's why I sort of, whether it's like little side projects or even work in itself now, you find... Uh, I'm working for a company that's helping people be sort of chase what their dreams are and helping mm. giving them an opportunity to try achieve that. Yeah, so I think that that's that's for me is the biggest sort of inspiration. In that, having been said, obviously I also have been inspired by like either other people who sort of, if it's like business who started their own businesses that have gone on to become great. Or if it's if you're talking about like running other people who've had like interesting running journeys and have become and have gone on to become great and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think I also see it when I've been inspired by others, how much of an effect an individual can have on you. And I try to be that for for other people. Yeah. So so my basically most of my inspiration actually comes from trying to inspire other people. Mm, interesting. So how do you how do you approach um, learning new things? I'm a, I'm very much a reader. Uh, I read lots of books. If it's a topic I'm trying to grasp and learn a very new topic, I'll my my approach is most likely to go and find out what are the books that that are the best ways to set up the foundations of whatever that thing is. And I would go in and grab those and start reading and learning. Yeah, so reading is my go-to approach for learning. Um, obviously, you can read a lot of long-form reading, ideally. Um, but also, obviously, you can read stuff online now. 
like if it's like tech, you can find resources around a certain topic you're trying to learn and you go into it. Um, and then the other thing out of that is obviously I will always try start small and give myself realistic goals to whatever that thing I'm learning is. I think there's a lot of this thing in the world where like someone wakes up and they want to be like great the next day, you know, but a lot of things actually take time to grasp and you need to fully understand. And sometimes things even take years to properly learn and, and grasp. So the other part of it is I, I obviously set realistic goals for myself um, and obviously start small. If it's something completely new, uh, start at the bare basics and understand that it's going to be slow at the beginning, but then also be consistent at it. Because obviously over time, if you're doing it every day, uh, if you're reading about something every day, you're learning more and more with each day. And after a while, you realize how much sort of mileage you've got from learning that new concept or topic. Mm. So I guess in summary, it's uh, for mine, for my, for, for me, it's um, I'm, I'm using reading a lot as a medium. But then I do start small at the very bare basics because things take time. Uh, and then also I'll push on to try and be as consistent as I can so, so that I don't fade out after like the first week. So aside reading and running, what what other hobbies or activities you do to you know get yourself away from all this everyday tech stress? I'll spend some time with friends and family. Just it's Cape Town, so it, mm-hmm. it's, it is quite social. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so there's like a lot of activities in Cape Town. It's an outdoor city. Yeah, so that's that's probably like the other thing. I'll spend some time with friends and family where I can. Uh, obviously, it's busy with the busy lifestyle. Um, you're not seeing everyone every day, so it's always good to have catch-ups and everything and just chill over drinks. Um, yeah, and I also watch a bit of football, So, but that's also, again, with friends. So that's also part of like on the weekends uh, when the games are playing find that which friend is free and then catch up with them and watch some football. Yeah. Uh, yeah and um, if you, if it's more around like after like a while of working, like when you need actually need a long rest versus like the day to day, I will take breaks, like breaks that can be like a week or so. Mm. Um, and, and see where I can, I'll try travel, whether it's traveling within the country, because uh, there's lots of places to see within South Africa or if it's traveling to a different country, um, but just to have an actual holiday. So I also make sure I have actual breaks that are longer than just a weekend, um, just to like decompress, rest, uh, and come back fresh with new ideas. Mm. Talk of ideas, are there any recent trends you're following? On the tech scene or just in general? No, in general. You know, it could be in tech, it could be any specific trend that you, you know. So I wouldn't say there's something I'm like tied to, like literally just say, like following on the dot. Uh, I mean, this year I've been reading a lot on the, on actual software engineering principles in itself. Mm. So not actually like a specific language, but it would be a level higher than that, which is like, what are the foundation, what are the foundational principles? Like mm. what, mm. what makes good software development? Things yeah. you can apply across different languages and, and, and paradigms. Yeah, and then um, also, because obviously I'm in a bit of a leadership role with the management stuff, I'm also trying to sort of upskill and read on that. 
So I'd say if you're saying trends, yeah, I think that's the current stuff I'm looking at, uh, sort of stuff that applies across all tech stacks or whether I work at a different company, it will mm. still apply and stuff that's sort of timeless uh, yeah. engineering practices. And then I'm also looking at the leadership stuff, like um, how can leadership be ap applied differently? What does tech leadership and technology look like? And those that's sort of like the goals I've set for books I want to read and learn learn from this uh, this year. But obviously, you're always on the watch out for like what's happening. The, yeah. the cool thing about being in technology and having the ability to build stuff tech-wise is you can observe an opportunity even outside of technology. It could be like something completely different, but then tech will always be part of it, like can facilitate helping that happen. Because almost any business or anything that happens now, you kind of have a tech component supporting it, regardless of what it is. Let's, let's talk about Africa now. Let's bring it home. What is your big picture for Africa? Big picture for Africa. Yeah. Yeah, it's a loaded question. <laughs> well, let's take it from, you know, the technology and education aspect of things. What would that big picture be? Um, I think for me, it would be opportunity. Hmm. I think that's the biggest problem we need to solve. And when I when I say that, I would I would use I can use myself as an example. The only reason I am able to be where I am now and be working in a company as a software engineer and everything is access to opportunity. The, the exact thing I explained earlier, which is access to using a computer so early in my life, put me a bit ahead. And then obviously continued education along that. Then these companies that then hired me and gave me the opportunity to learn about actual software engineering practices and everything. So I think the main thing to sort of solve would be opportunity. And that comes from education and technology from both sides. So educate, I mean, if, even if we're not just talking about people getting educated in technology, I think giving, if African children could get the same sort of access to education opportunities uh, as everyone else across the world or sort of the first world countries and everything, we will have a bigger chance of like moving the continent forward because that generation that's educated then brings in a whole lot more to the continent. So solving that is interesting because obviously the institutions that have the power to solve that are usually governments and it's a very big continent with different cultures and sort of different differently led and run governments. So there's a lot of complexity around that. Technology has a part to play because technology usually uh, democratizes things. So now people like any kids with phones or anything in Africa, as long as that phone's got access to the internet, are literally holding like a piece of, uh, of access to education right in their pocket. And if those things become more and more mainstream, then access to education slowly starts getting solved uh, bit by bit. So I think tech has a part to play in opening up these opportunities that I'm talking about. But again, these things can be accelerated even further if people make an active effort to figure out how can we help out education how can we apply technology to actually help solve these problems we have in africa yeah and then tech obviously can play a role in more than just education it can play a role in in, in our politics in all our institutions that are moving slowly or lagging behind it can help solve issues in farming and 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 poverty and everything by its nature it should bring more jobs 
which should bring, which should mean more people are employed and sort of the poverty line moves up a bit more. But, but having said all that, these are potential opportunities. And I think for them to actually happen, you need people, great, great leaders sort of driving that direction. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's not only the, you, we can't rely only on sort of the political sector to help with that. There's also the private businesses and institutions that are making a lot of money even within Africa, I think they also have a role to play. And then at the end of the day, I think every individual has a role to play. That's including us. We are fortunate enough to, to have been educated to get to where we are. And even if we help 10 or 20 people, maybe those 10 or 20 people can go on and help like hundreds of other people. And if that cycle sort of continues, then the continent just becomes a better place. But yeah, we can't deny. I think there's a lot of things you see where it's the Economist or Time Magazine or whatever that says Africa, the land of opportunity and everything. I think what while those articles are great and they're showing the optimism and everything, I think what we often run away from is sort of like denying how difficult a task it actually is. And I think that's the first thing we need to face, that it's not a small task to, to achieve. It's yeah. a big task. And from then, then we look at, okay, how do, we, how do we address it and how can we solve it? But I think definitely Africa will be different. I mean, it's already different from what it was like 10, 15 years ago. I mean, now there's people in the rural area in Zim that I chat to on WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. That would have been unimaginable like, like 10 or 15 yeah. years ago. But <laughs> the person is literally, it means the person is on the internet technically yeah. and they're responding immediately. They're sending you a picture. So there's something happening and the real effect of it, maybe we'll see if we push on 10 years again. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. And to to know that things are, you know, getting better over the years from all our experiences things challenges we face and gradually things are getting you know better and better so are you involved in any any project or you know something that is helping to promote technology on african continent not really at the moment i did start an education um, app or website a couple of years ago with one of my friends that i studied with and one of the guys i was working with but yeah it, it, it was one of those things that i needed the time to actually do it full time versus actually doing it as work because we needed to build a community of, of users but the idea there was it was supposed to help people in education when you have a when you have a concept you're trying to understand, a topic you're trying to understand, you just post a question and then people from across the world could help you and explain that concept. So it could be a mathematical thing. Maybe you're trying to understand what integration is or how to integrate something. And people actually explain to you how it works and everything. So it was a whole, supposed to be a whole educational community. From the developer side, they would know it was like, it would be, have been like a stack overflow, but then more for, for school. Um, yeah, but I, it, it was just, time intensive to try actually grow grow that community and push on so we ended up pausing on that yeah but outside of that nothing actually directly at the moment where i'm like in a project and where we're actually helping other people with tech it's something that's on my mind i still just haven't figured out what exactly to do like i've i've some of the thoughts are around maybe just helping mentor up and coming sort of engineers or or start something in those lines where you've got a couple of people who are helping mentor a whole set of up and coming engineers 
engineers, maybe they can continue a cycle of that sort. Yeah. So something on, on the top of my head, something probably I should focus on and think about a lot more because definitely, like I said earlier, it's sort of people like us, we should be making this effort to help, to help people more. Knowledge sharing is very, very important, you know, to share the knowledge we have so that, the, you know, the younger generation can grow. Do you have any specific African you know, influencer you follow? From the tech space. So Strive, Strive Masiwa, who is Zimbabwean actually. Okay. He started Econet, so in the telecom space. Yeah, someone sort of I've followed over the years. Yeah, so obviously I follow his Facebook page um he shares stories about how the business started or his tips and advice here and there on what what young africans should actually be doing yeah i think he's got similar ideas to what i just chatted about in the last sort of question which is uh what can you do as individuals to help others and everything but also he shares a lot about we should be where africa should be going technology-wise, and what opportunities you should be looking to capture as a young African in the tech space and everything. So I'd say he's definitely, yeah, someone I sort of uh, look onto and, and follow. And also the fact that he is from my home country and uh, to see someone sort of succeed more on a worldwide basis from your own country is, is also pretty inspiring. Yeah, very, very inspiring. I mean, the whole idea of this podcast is to inspire our own Africans, you know, and to learn from them and use some of their experience. So in this episode's mystery fund questing, we would allow you to pick from, um, pick any number between 1 and 18. And whatever number you pick, it has an associated questing that I'm going to ask. So 1 and 18, what would that lucky number be? Uh, I'll go with 9. 9. Any specific reason why you're going with 9? So 9 is, uh, it's related to sports. That's ah. the number I had when I, when I still played the uh, rugby in school. Oh, okay. And I've just stuck to that number as my lucky number. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good to know anyway so question nine on this episode's mystery fun questing is what's something you have been meaning to try but just have not gotten around to do i would say probably actually figuring out how to my my long-term goal is to um to eventually run my own company full-time and obviously that company has to align with with making an impact and a positive impact and again an inspiring uh, other people and i think i think the one thing is starting to to figure out what that could be and actually making traction on that it's something that pops in my head here and there and kind of push it back and say okay the time will come but there has to be a point where it's like, okay, I need to move on this and get going. So I think it's just being more being more driven around around that that long term goal. That's true. So on your opinion in this episode, are you a generalist or a specialist? Okay, cool. I would say I'm gonna cheat and say it depends. <laughs> And it depends on the individual, I think. There's lots of value in specialists that can do one particular, that have a key focus on one particular area and understand it so well and drill down into it. And you can ask them to do anything in that space and they'll figure it out for you. I think, I think we need people like that. They go deep into that space and they end up either solving problems that no one else can or actually build the next iteration of advancement in that space. So we need them. Can't deny that. Generalists are also key because this is someone who sort of understands 
multiple spaces, obviously not as deep as a specialist, but then if you chat to them about something else, they are not completely blank and they can sort of give you a, a wider view of things. Generalists also, I guess, because of a, of a wider level view of things, uh, can help move teams or people so sort of the people who most likely end up being like managers or or even the people who start like companies and 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 run it because they've got a wider understanding of different spaces what i would say though is when someone is starting out it's probably wise to in the early days focus on being generalists so learn a lot because obviously you're still discovering yourself what your interests are and you're still discovering the whole space you're learning. So it's probably wise to start as a generalist and learn different little things about each space. And then you start to see what you enjoy or what you're really good at. And then you can decide to drill down and become a core specialist in that if that's what you want. Else you sort of remain on the generalist side of things and, and you have a rough idea of each and every space. And then and I think if, if I had to like look at myself, I think I actually sit very much on the generalist sort of side of things. But then again, if we look at how long careers go for these days, it will, it's not surprising if I maybe end up in the specialist space at some point uh, if I decide to change. Thanks for sharing that. So what would be your advice to someone coming into technology, aspiring to be in technology? I would say learn, learn as much as you can. Find, so there's access to, access to information is now much easier. Whatever you wanna learn, search for it online, read up on it, find books around what you're trying to learn about, read those books or online tutorials, find communities or people who are doing what you want to eventually do. So if you're trying to be a programmer, can you find programmers who are already working or who are ahead of you currently and sort of help, ask them to help you to get to where they are. Like they've been through the journey you are trying to go through so they can help you. But the whole thing is learning and learning and learning. There's a lot in the tech world. So there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to consume. It's moving fast, but it's a very big opportunity at the moment. That's where the world is going. So there's no... You are not losing anything from learning about tech mm. and learning how tech works and everything. So yeah, so that that would be my my core advice. Yeah, it, it can be it can be frustrating or overwhelming because it seems like a lot. But then just do things slowly and ideally find someone else who's currently doing what you're where you're trying to who's currently where you're trying to get to. And if that person is willing to help you, uh, then you've got a, a mentor who can guide you through through that journey. Oh, okay, that's that's great. So you you talk about learning, learning for these young people. What are some of your tools, resources, you know, that that help you to learn? If you can share some of these things with us. Yeah. So I mean, the obvious one, which I think everyone, like I said earlier, has access to, is is Google in itself. A, a simple search for learning beginning beginner programmer in Ruby or beginner programming in Python uh, will yield so many resources online. And just starting there is like already like so much information available. And you can possibly you'll probably find blog posts that show you like how to set up your computer the first time for that and then actually do example programs and everything. And then obviously there's paid tools and tutorials that one can get. So it obviously depends on the person's current state of affairs. So if maybe they're working at a company, maybe the company is willing to pay 
for them to have access to like pro site or code school or something. But yeah, but I, I think there's so much material online at the moment, free material that's accessible. Then of course it's books and yeah, like I said, I, I, I am, I'm very much a reader. I go out there, the search for me would be search for whatever you're trying to learn, what are the, what are the best books to learn about that topic. And if you're able to get those books, uh, buy them and uh, and start reading those books. Yeah. So I haven't given like a go to this like website or anything because obviously like again, tech is so wide. I mean, there's so many languages, there's so many frameworks, there's so many different things someone could be trying to learn how to do. Even once you drill down into a framework or a language, things are different depending on where the person's working, what they're trying to achieve. So I can't give a blanket list of just do that. What I know definitely is the actual key skill now is there's so much information online. So the key skill is to identify what's actually good. But the first step is to say, hey, I want to learn. So let me go look online for what's available. And then you start like filtering. Oh, I've read that. It didn't really help me. Oh, I, I looked at that video and that really helped me and assisted me. Wow. Amazing. Thank you very much, Tanaka. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. It's sure. been an amazing uh, journey. We hope that the young ones will be inspired by your story. We appreciate your time. Cool. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, it was really cool to just chat over and remember a bit of the history of where I've come from and everything. But yeah, I hope it's useful and it inspires people. And yeah, we'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you again. Well, thank you guys for listening to episode six of the Journey series. We have been talking to... Tanaka Mutakwa. He's a software engineer at Prodigy Finance in South Africa. He's also the founder for No Days of Lifestyle brand. And don't forget that our podcast is on iTunes, Google Music, Spotify, and Tuning. Download it, listen, and subscribe. And always check our website at podcast.esadreni.me. And don't forget you can send me feedback at hello at esadreni.me. And today, I want to share this quote with you. Everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear. So, if you get rid of fear, you can achieve a lot. Until next Friday, I have been your host, Samala Drani, and this is Control Escape. Thank you once again, Tanaka, and it's good to connect with you. Cool. Cheers.